There is a question that I think that is always on loop in our brains, in our minds. It's a question that we're always asking ourselves. It could be consciously, it could be subconsciously, it could be something that we actually find ourselves verbalizing. It could be something that we're, we internalize. <clears throat> but I think that we're consistently asking ourselves this one question. And it's this, is it worth it? Is it worth it? All right, so it could be as simple as you going shopping, you go into a store, you see something that you like, and you like it, but then you, you flip over that price tag, and then you're like, I don't like it that much. It's good, but it's not that good. You know, I had a, I had a free gift card for a chicken sandwich at Chick-fil-A, and I, I was going to take advantage of it, and I drove a little bit out of the way to get there, show up, and lo and behold, that line is wrapped three times around the building. If I was with my family, that usually would not deter us, but it was just me. And let me just say this, I was going to wait for a chicken sandwich and to hear my pleasure that day, okay? It was not worth it. But it doesn't always have to be monetary. It doesn't have to be in terms of time. Sometimes it's just, uh, it intersects with our just everyday life. My wife, one of her, her dreams since we've lived here in, in uh, Florida is that we would go to Bush Gardens together and ride all the roller coasters. Now, for some of you, you're thinking, that sounds like a great date. That sounds fun. What, just you and your wife and walking around the park and maybe eating some food and getting on rides and just being like kids again. No, 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 that's not how it is. Roller coasters, um, they do something to my body that ought not, not be, to be done here. I have a tough time with roller coasters, all right? But here I am, I'm faced with a decision. I'm faced with a decision, and I'm holding two things up in tension, right? It's my wife, the love of my life, her good time, me wanting to, to be a good husband. And then over here, it's Bruce. Do you want your head to feel like it's in a washing machine? Bruce, do you want to put yourself in a position where everything on your insides wants to come on its outside? Do you really want to do that, Bruce? And that question loomed, is it worth it? Let me tell you this. If that last ride would have lasted 10 seconds longer, it would not have been worth it. I can assure you that. But listen, we rode every roller coaster there in an hour and a half. There were no lines, okay? So, okay there's applause out here. It's like, that's a, that's a feat, but that's a response that I need because you know what I accomplished. You know what I did. Listen, my body did not have time to, re, to, to, to recover. It didn't have any time to recover in an hour and a half. Now, just to be sure, 
that when I say that we rode every roller coaster, it's not that we rode every roller coaster that we wanted to ride. It's not that we rode every roller coaster, um, you know, or, or, or a lot of roller coasters. When I say we rode every roller coaster an hour and a half, it was every one of them. It was every single one of them. And it took a toll on my body. But let me tell you what, I can do anything one time. I can do anything one time. And the smile on my wife's face and her being happy about that, I got it under my belt. And I can assure you, I will not do it again, all right? <laughs> I will not do it again. Is it worth it? It's an important question. Because the answer to that question would determine whether or not you will do a thing or not do a thing. And every time you ask that question, you're going to be holding that up to some kind of value system. The value at that time, you will hold it up. Is, is this worth this? Will I get out of this what I'm giving? What is the gain out of all of this? And as we've been walking through and beginning our series on parables, we're going to look at, <coughs> excuse me, two short parables, two very short parables today. And these parables are two short parables that are telling us and showing us if the kingdom is really worth giving up everything for. It's going to demonstrate to us the value of the kingdom. All right, so if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 13, 44 through 47. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. Uh, Matthew's the first book in the, in the, in the New Testament. Um, so and it's the first of all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 47. And this is how it reads. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search for pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. When I was a kid growing up, we would always refer to parables as heavenly or earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. Is this a really simple way of talking about the nature of parables? Because parables are very simple, very simplistic, very straightforward stories that connect to everyday life. But embedded in those stories, laced in those stories, are very profound, significant, eternal, and spiritual truths. See, the thing that we need to remember about parables is this, is that even though they're little stories, it's still revelation. It's still God speaking to me and you about who he is and what his kingdom is like. It's still Jesus, it's still God revealing himself. Even in these stories, he's revealing these spiritual points. Listen, we have to make sure we don't miss it. Remember, even though these stories are simple, they have these very profound things. They are revealing and concealing something at the same time. Remember last week when we were talking about the, the parable of the soils, the revealing nature of something and the concealing nature of it, is that some people, they could understand and they could get the story, 
they understood it like intellectually. It's not too hard to understand that, okay, the guy, he finds a treasure, he buries everything, and, and he goes and sells everything. And then you make a judgment on the story. It's not that. What's the, the spiritual significance of it? And people were missing it. And with the soils, people were missing it. And a lot of that was dependent upon and determined by the condition of their heart. Was their heart receptive? Was their heart receptive to the things of God? Was it open to the things of God or was it, was it closed, crowded? So Jesus gives us these two little short parables to give us some very significant truths. These two parables are two ways of making the same point, and it's this. The surpassing value of the kingdom is worth our sacrificial and singular pursuit. The surpassing value of the kingdom is worth our sacrificial and singular pursuit. It speaks to the value of the kingdom. In the first parable, there's a man who, who's, in a, who's in a field. He might be cutting through the field, Here's the thing about the parables is that it's going to give us all the information that we need to know. We don't know why the man's in the field. We don't know how he finds the treasure. He could have been plowing the field. He could have been cutting through the field. He could have, the sun could have caught something shiny in his eye and he went to go investigate it and then began to, to dig and, and then he unmined this treasure. We don't know why or how he finds the treasure. We just know that he wasn't looking for it. I mean, behold, he finds it. And here's the thing about treasure. Okay, when we speak about treasure, we're not, we're not actually trying to, to calculate the cost of something. All right, when we start talking about value or, or treasure, what we're, what we're communicating is the immense value of something. The immense value of something. So just, just like even today, when you start talking about something being a treasure. So if I'm talking about my wife, and I say my wife, she, she's a treasure. No one's going to call me to task on that and say, when you say she's a treasure, how much do you think she's worth? You know, a couple thousand, a couple hundred thousand, a million. Two, no, like you're not trying to calculate cost. What I'm highlighting is value. What I'm highlighting is a deep-seated desire. And that's very important when it comes to the treasure because the Bible talks a lot about treasure and what we treasure. So treasure, it can be the sheer volume of stuff, a lot of stuff that is riches, but it can also be something rare, something unique, something small. But again, it speaks to, and it's understood, and it's portrayed in this parable that it's something that is of, of immense value. It's important that we see treasure and what we see as our treasure because our value system and our deepest desire meet at what we treasure. That's, that's the meeting point for what we treasure. It's our value system being held up with our deepest desires, and there you'll find your treasure. That's why when, when Jesus is preaching on the Sermon of the Mount, uh, he's talking about laying up treasures in heaven. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 6. 
He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in, on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Hey, Jesus is helping us see here that, hey, all, all treasures are not created equal. All treasures are not created equal. There is a such thing as a superior treasure. And it's objective. It's not merely, you know, just what we feel or what we, what's personalized to us. There are objective things that we ought to be investing in that are of, of superior value and things that are not of superior value, things that are inferior in value. And Jesus is, he's framing it from, hey, don't, don't invest in earthly treasures, invest in heavenly ones. Because there's a treasure that will endure and there's a treasure that is secure. And that's what he's highlighting here it, with, when he's talking about, the, about these parables. So the man that's, that's portrayed with the hidden treasure, when he finds it, what does he do? He gets laser focused and he begins to do everything. He begins to reorder. He begins to reorient his life in such a way to get the treasure. And the same thing is with the merchant. The merchant who finds the pearl of great price. It says that he was searching for pearls. Plural. This man is searching for pearls. And then he finds one pearl. One pearl of great value. And guess what? He aborts the mission. He calls off the hunt. And he basically, what he's saying is that that one pearl, it's not only worth me giving up uh, my, all, all everything that I own, it's worth me giving up all the other pearls that I have. That's the value of it. One thing is worth the many things. I will get rid of all of these things so that I can have that one thing, that one pearl, that great pearl of great price. Why? Why? Because he sees the surpassing value of the pearl. Why? For the other man, he sees the surpassing value of the treasure. All right. And they run after it. Listen, this is a good litmus test on what you value and what you treasure. Just think about the stuff that, that you're focused on and the things that get your attention. What do you think about the most? What, what grabs your attention? What gets your focus? What gets your focus? All right. You will reorder your life around your values. You will. And you will center your life on your highest value. You will center your life on your highest value. So I could ask you, what is your highest value? And we know maybe what the right answer to, to that might be. But then we, we could just dive a little bit into that and say, what, what is your life centered on? At the end of the day, what's that one thing that your whole life dances around? That moves you? That's your passion? that makes you do things and it prevents you from doing things. What's the center value, the highest value 
of your life. This goes back to, I remember months ago, we did that Love First series here when we were going through the book of Colossians. And the, the point was made from up here is that Jesus is not interested in being just prominent in our lives, but preeminent. That Jesus is not just wanting to be a value. The kingdom's not just a value in our life, like education, family, community, kingdom. Like it's just attached to all of our values, all the things that we think are important. Now, when Jesus is talking about the, the kingdom, he's saying that, no, the kingdom should be preeminent because the king should be preeminent. It should be of utmost value. It should be of utmost importance. Everything else should be reconfigured around that center value. So when I say a singular pursuit and that Jesus should be or the kingdom should be a singular pursuit, it doesn't mean that you're not allowed or nor, or it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be pursuing other things. You very much should be pursuing other things. There's all kinds of things that we're responsible for that we should be pursuing. What it means by, by, the, by the kingdom being um, worthy of our singular pursuit is that our pursuit of the kingdom should govern all other pursuits. Our pursuit of the kingdom should govern. It should superintend. It should, it should supersede. It should be the thing that everything else is brought underneath. It's the thing that everything else is, is brought into line with. And if it doesn't fit with kingdom, if it doesn't fit with what God is calling us to do, if it's not the best things, because quite frankly, that's, that's a lot of our problems. It's, sometimes it's not so much that we're just, we're having to give up bad things. We definitely, definitely need to do that as well. But I think a lot of times what we're battling and the tension that we're feeling is that we just, we have a hard time giving up good things for better things. And that's what the kingdom is calling us to do. Superior things, better things, pursuing those things. And these men, they get it. They get it. If you were going to play this parable out, how distracted do you think these guys would have been once they found the treasure and the pearl and then just went and just started like, boom, I'm going to go sell everything. If they're just going to go sell everything, how, what do you think would have to happen to derail them from that mission? What would have to, what would have to come into their life for them to say, you know what, I'm going to push pause on that treasure. I'd rather do this. You know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to push pause on that pearl of great price because I want to do this right now. What you would do, you would question whether or not they see the value of it. You would question whether or not that, do they see the surpassing value of that because they're giving themselves to what you would say are inferior things, things that don't warrant your Singular focus. I, rem <laughs> I remember when I went on my first mission trip. Mission trips are effective. And they're effective for a reason. 
they're effective because a lot of times you find yourself in a country not as developed as the one that we live in, and somebody has made plans for you. And you go to a place, and what you're going to do is very clear. It's very clear, it's cut out for you, and you get there, and you know what you get the privilege of doing and the freedom of doing on a mission trip? I'm just gonna think about this one thing. And you're with a team that's doing the same thing. So you get up in the morning, you read your Bible, you're having your quiet time, you're, you're, you get to spend time in prayer, and then the whole team gets together and you're spending time in prayer and maybe you sing a song and it's like, man, this is sweet. This is nice. And then y'all load up in your vans or maybe you, you, you start your journey walking and you go somewhere and you start building something. You start sharing the gospel. You start seeing God work and you're doing all these things and God's also working in your life and, and a scary thing can happen. A scary thing can happen. You, you, start, you start thinking kind of crazy. You start thinking, man, ah. I'm just going to quit my job. I wish I could do this all the time. I wish, I wish this could be my life. I wish that I could just share Jesus, give my time and spending time with him, be with the people of God, be on mission together, and just, and just do this and not have all this other stuff that I'm entangled with. I wish I could have a singular focus like this when I get home. But what happens? You get home and all the things that you, you were able to drop, all the things that you let go to be on that mission trip, what do we start to do? We start picking them back up. Start picking them back up. Even after we experienced, saw the value and what that felt like, we, we in our minds, we, sometimes it's actually explicitly said, but in our minds, what do we think? Back to the real world. Right? Because being that singularly focused, that's, that's not the real world. I just took a break to do that, but now I've got to come back and I've got responsibilities that I have to keep up with now. And we miss out on better things because we can't let things go. We can't give up things. And we think that by holding all of these things and, and not letting something go, the thing that's going to get squeezed out quicker than anything else is going to be mission. It's going to be mission. So what has to happen is that as believers, we have to be the laser-focused ones. As the church, we have to be the laser-focused one. Listen, if... If we're not committed and laser focused to the kingdom of God, the building of it, the sharing of the gospel that other people might inherit and come into the kingdom, if we're not the ones championing it, who will? The world doesn't see the value of the kingdom. And that's what we're trying to hold up to them. We're trying to show them the surpassing value of the kingdom. But we can't show the surpassing value of the kingdom when we just jump right back in the rat race stuff and our values become the world's values. Our highest value becomes earthly values. Our treasure becomes earthly treasures. 
and we just fall in line and then we, and we wonder why I wish I could get that feeling back from that mission trip, from that camp. Well, you know what that feeling came from? You know what that passion came from? A singular focus. A singular pursuit. Our, our, our pursuits have to come under the kingdom, the pursuit of the kingdom. So the kingdom calls us to give up things. So in this parable, or in these two parables, what do you have? You have men who find something, and listen, they don't get this option. They don't get this option. They don't think in their minds that, okay, I found the treasure. Well, I want the treasure and everything that I own. You find the pearl? Well, I want the pearl of great value and all my other pearls and everything else that I own. I want it all. You can't have it all. Having it all is not the option. You have to, your decision is going to be based on what you value. So you have to give up one thing for the other thing. You have to exchange one thing for the other thing. And your exchange and your desire to make that exchange, your, your desire to want to do that is going to be directly in, a direct result of what you value and what your highest value would be. So the kingdom is not only worth a singular pursuit, but it's also a sacrificial pursuit. You will sacrifice for your highest value. You will center your life on the highest value. You will sacrifice for it. You will give up stuff. You will give up a lot of stuff to have your highest value. Each of these men, they sell everything they have. And what you realize is that, you know what? If I'm going to make this exchange, it sure, it sure is costly. It's a costly exchange. Keep in mind, yes, they're getting something of value, but they're still giving up stuff. They still have to be willing to give it up to get the greater. And that's what they do. And you would think, man, that's a no-brainer, Bruce. Everyone would do that, everyone who sees the value. You remember the story of the rich young ruler? That's not even a parable. That's a real-life person that ran into Jesus, and Jesus had this conversation with him. He says, just then someone came up to him and asked, teacher, he's talking to Jesus, teacher, what good must I do to, to have eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus said to him, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter into life, if you want to enter the kingdom, keep the commandments. And I love this guy's response. Which ones? I, hey, I'm, I'm down with this. To get eternal life, to get the kingdom, to get life, obey the commandments. Which ones? See, what you're, at, what you're seeing in work there is that he's not getting it. The posture of his heart is not as receptive as it sounds or it looks. Because he doesn't understand that the guy he's asking the question to, he did, Jesus wouldn't need to be there if he could keep the commandments. The guy who is there, the guy he's talking to, is the, the whole reason he's there is because he can't keep the commandments. And he's like, which ones? 
You know, and Jesus throws him a bone here. He's like, you know, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. I've kept all these, all of them. Check, 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 check. And Jesus does something. And and really what Jesus is doing here is gracious and is merciful. And he does that to me and he does that for you. What he does is he just kind of pokes. He pokes at what your treasure and your value system. And he, and he tries to figure out, hey, what, I want to show you really what your deepest desire is. I want to show you what you're, what you're really treasuring. And what does he ask him? One thing you lack. If you want to be perfect, Jesus said, go sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the man heard this, he went away grieving. Why did he go away grieving? Because, because he had many possessions. Why did he go away grieving? Short answer, because it wasn't worth it. Jesus's request of him was not worth it. He didn't see the surpassing value of the kingdom. He didn't see the value of the king that he was talking to. He saw the value of his possessions as greater. And guess what? He looked at each and he said, I'm not making that exchange. I'm not willing to do it. And sometimes that's, that's our posture. We know what to value. God, by his grace, he's shown us a value system. We know what we're supposed to be running at. We just, we're just not willing to give up stuff. We're not willing to give up things. And Jesus, what he, what he does is he shows and he exposes with this rich young ruler. He basically shows him that, you know what? Actually, you haven't kept the first commandment. Therefore, you failed in all of them. You should love the Lord with all of your heart. You should have no other gods before me. You should have no other gods. And what he was showing is you have other gods before me. They're your possessions because you're not willing to give them up for me. And I'm the son of God. So the rich young ruler's value system was off. It was off. And in these parables, I want you to see that the drive of these is not so much on the selling and the getting rid of stuff. Yes, we need to get up. We need to give up things. But that's not really the drive. Okay? In each of the parables, they are selling and giving up things. But the drive is, is something better. It's, it's seeing that the greater value eclipses things of lesser value. So if our view of following Jesus is focused on what we only what we have to give up, then our view of Jesus and his kingdom is, is a little incomplete. Because these parables are not ultimately about losing. It's about gain. It's 100% about gain. And it will always be and 100% be gain when we're looking at it in its proper value system. The rich young ruler couldn't do that. He wasn't willing to make the exchange. And listen, an exchange is a necessary part of the kingdom. It's essential. You can't have the kingdom without giving up something. You can't have the kingdom unless you are willing to make the exchange. I want you to think about 
the disciples for a second. Let's just do a couple of them. Just in, early on in the, in the same gospel of Matthew, you have Andrew and Peter. What are they doing? They're fishing. They're messing around with their nets. They're working. Jesus walks up to them, says, come, follow me. What do they do? They follow him. Jesus will straight up come to your workplace and tell you to leave and follow me. And that's what he did. And then he goes and he does the same thing to James and John. Come, follow me. What do they do? Drop their nets, leave their boat. You know who's in the boat with them? Their father. Come, follow me. See you, dad. Bye. We love you, dad. It's a greater value here. It doesn't mean we don't value you, dad. There's a greater value here. So, so they leave, they follow. Think about Matthew, the gospel writer here in his own book, the tax collector. Jesus shows up, he's in his tax booth. He's in his tax booth doing his thing and Jesus walks up, come follow me. Oh, wasn't planning on going home and unemployed today, but here I go. And follows Jesus, gives up everything. Gives up everything. Why? Why do these people give up everything? Listen, if I could say it this way, just to follow a man. Just to follow a good teacher. Because he's more than a teacher. They understand who he is. They understand the value of who he is. And it's a no-brainer to follow him. Just like no one had to give those guys in the parable a lesson on what they need to do. No one said, hey, you know what you should do? You should sell everything and buy the field so you can have the treasure. He saw the value of it. He knows exactly what he's supposed to do. I got to get rid of something so I can get this. The merchant, you know, I got to get rid, I got to sell this stuff so I can get that. Nobody had to teach him that. They saw the value. And because they saw the value, it was a no-brainer for them to do. But why did they see the value? It's not because they're smarter. We don't follow Jesus because we just get it more than everyone else. We don't turn our noses up at people and be like, huh, if you, could, uh, if you would have changed your heart like I changed mine. No, you didn't change your heart. I didn't change my heart. God was gracious to me. He was gracious to you. We did it because of grace. We're asking that God would show that same grace to other people. When you look at Paul, Paul gave up everything to follow Jesus. Why? Because he saw the surpassing value of the kingdom. In Philippians, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. His value system is right. That's why he can give up stuff. Because he sees gain, gain, gain. That's all he sees. So in the midst of gain, he doesn't feel like he's giving up a thing. He's sacrificing, but not really. And that's true for us. Man, I'm just struck by this even with um, the author of Hebrews when he kind of looks back at Moses' life. And he says this, by faith, Moses, when he was growing up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth. That's what it says. 
than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Exchange royalty, literally exchange the Egyptian empire to suffer with God's people. What makes a person do that? The surpassing value of the kingdom. They get it. They understand that. Listen, you look at Paul, you look at the disciples, you look at, Mo, you look at all these people through the Bible. Listen, all of these people point to the value and the worth of the kingdom, but let's be crystal clear. No one has highlighted the value and worth of the kingdom more than Jesus. No one has highlighted the value and the worth of the kingdom more than Jesus. Here's why. Because no one has sacrificed more for the kingdom than Jesus. You can't out-sacrifice Jesus. You can't do it. And this is the beauty of King Jesus and why he's such a different king. You know, you've watched movies in the past maybe, and you, you always see this epic battle scenes where one army is over here, another army is over here, and they're about to clash. Just a sea of men who are, who are ready to battle. And the kings are, are back at the castle, behind the walls, being protected. Or if they're on the battlefield, they're, they're way off at a harm's way. To observe the battle, all the people that will, will give their lives for the kingdom, but they're protected. Because the idea is this, is that if the king dies, the kingdom dies. You take the king, you take the kingdom. This is real life chess. The kingdom of God is completely different. The kingdom of heaven and Jesus as our king, he's completely different. He's a king that dies first. He dies first so that there can be a kingdom. If Jesus doesn't die, there is no kingdom. If Jesus doesn't make the exchange, if he doesn't give his life for our sin, if he doesn't take our punishment, we don't have a chance at eternal life. And this is the beauty. Listen, listen. This is the beauty of it. Jesus, he doesn't have to do what he does. But in that, he can only do what, what he is. A gracious king. A good king. He's not asking you, he's not asking me to do something that he has not done first. He's, the, he's not asking you to go somewhere he hasn't gone. He's not asking you to do or give something that he wasn't willing to do. When Jesus says, give everything for the kingdom, he can say that because he can, I did it first. I did it so that you can do it. Jesus died for the kingdom so that we can live for it. May we have eyes to see that. May we have eyes to see the surpassing value of the kingdom. And may it be, and may it lead us to a singular pursuit, a sacrificial pursuit. And we can do that because Jesus did it. What is it for you today? What's your highest value? Is there something that you're holding on to because you feel like if, if I give it up, if I give it up, then 
joy, joy will leave my life. I'm, I'm just struck by the, that first parable where it says, in his joy, he went and he sold everything. Guys, joy and sacrifice, they're compatible. Joy and sacrifice are compatible. They're not at odds one another. Jesus didn't die to take joy from you. He died so that you can have joy in the midst of sacrifice. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, scorning his shame. And that's why he sits at the right hand of God. He's not asking anything from you that he hasn't done first and that he's not willing to walk with you through.